Alright, now, this is going to be different. We're going to do something different tonight. I've never done this in my life before. But we're going to have a guest preacher tonight. He's been dead about 150 years. It'll be my voice, but it's going to be him preaching to you. How many of you have ever read a sermon, a full sermon? I mean, you sit down and read a full sermon by a preacher from two, three, four hundred years ago. Okay, there's two. Well, you see, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. I, I mention it often, you know, about reading after these older, you know, from way back. Brother Kenny does when he comes. He always talks about that. That's the books he reads. That's the books I read. And uh, you need to know how they preached. Uh, in my Bible software, I've got all of Spurgeon's, I mean, I don't know, thousands of Spurgeon's messages. Somebody transcribed them the whole thing. I've got a lot of Finney's preaching. Uh, this message has just worked on me for so long. And, and I've told you, I'm going to preach on it. I'm going to preach on it. Well, I've just come to the conclusion it's better if he just preached it to you. Because I want you to see how people, how men like that studied, meditated, and thought things out before they preached. They didn't come just half-cocked. I mean, and, and this man here, is one, he's, he's had a profound influence on me because I've read his stuff, what he wrote. I've read his sermons, read about him. And I don't know of any preacher, any other preacher that I've ever read who will deal with you as thoroughly as him. He was a lawyer. He went to school to be a lawyer. He was lost, raised a heathen on the frontier in New York back in, you know, more than 200 years ago. And he went to law school and he got saved because when they went to law school back then, they had to read the Bible because that was the basis of law. And through Blackstone's law book and the Bible, Finney got born again. And uh, so he's going to preach to you tonight. Now you can turn it off and you can... Look at your phone, or you can just sit there and daydream, or what. But I'm promising you this. If you will listen and pay attention to what he's saying and forget that I'm the one reading it to you, you'll have a hard time not just crawling out of this place tonight. Now I'm telling you. How many times have I preached on charity? How many times have you talked about charity in Sunday school? How many times have you read that chapter and thought about it? How many sermons have you heard on it? Articles. How much discussion have you heard about it? Well, now here's all that he's going to say. Charity thinketh no evil. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Now, this is not hard to understand. They didn't talk a lot different back then than we do now, contrary to what everybody thinks. So I'm just going to read it. You'll understand. The context in which these words stand is doubtless familiar to many of you, but it may not be amiss for me to read it. 
So he reads the scripture, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I become a sounding brass. He reads the whole chapter here. And then at the end he says, You, you observe that I have selected for my text but one of the many attributes of charity, namely that she thinketh no evil. In considering this attribute more extensively, I propose, number one, to inquire what it is to think evil in the sense of the text. Number two, to show that in this sense charity thinketh no evil. Number three, to give some of the evidences of evil thinking. And number four, to adduce some evidences of that charitable state of mind which thinketh no evil. Now this is a sermon. This is not a poem or an excerpt or a quote. This is a sermon. So it's going to take a little bit. Number one, thinking evil in the sense of the text includes thinking unjustly, forming unjust opinions of others, and giving indulgence to feelings in correspondence with our unjust opinions is certainly evil thinking. Number two, so is thinking enviously. When envy governs our opinions of others, we are guilty of evil thinking. So of suspicious thinking, it is another modification of thinking evil. When we are suspicious of others' motives, we think evil of them. The same is true of all malicious thinking. Malicious thinking. Thoughts of malice are, of course, evil. Nor can we say less of revengeful thoughts. They are evil and only evil, continually. Unkind and ill-natured thoughts partake of the same general character. None can doubt that all such thoughts are intrinsically evil and not good. Again, dwelling upon others' faults, real or imputed, is evil thinking. Even if these faults are real, it is not wise to dwell upon them. Certainly not, unless we can answer the ends of benevolence by so doing. If we can devise means to correct them, so much thinking as may be necessary for this purpose may be good, but thinking of others' faults for any other than a good object is certain to work evil. What, what then shall we say of brooding over those assumed faults of others which are not real but only imputed? Perhaps they owe all their apparent evil to the, to the tinge they get from your morbid imagination or your jealous heart. In such a case, what can be worse than the fermentation of such a mind as yours? It not only wrongs others, but terribly corrodes your own mind. There can be no peace to him who indulges such evil thinking. Thinking over personal injuries, whether real or imaginary, is evil. <laughs> How are we doing so far? In such a world as this, it will, it will often happen that men are really wronged. But even when they, even then they should double, why should they double and triple the evil resulting to themselves by dwelling upon it, pouring over it, talking about it till they get every sensibility of their being on fire? What's the use? None at all. He only spoils his own peace and the peace of as many others as he can bring under his poisonous influence. Such thinking is surely a great evil. Are you all paying attention? Worse still, if the supposed injury is only imaginary. 
and it usually is, then wrong is done to the assumed authors. Besides all the mischief to the self-tormenting sufferer, who perhaps to him, in him is himself the only cause of all the evil, resulting first to himself, next to his friends, and last but not least to the man wrongfully accused of the imaginary injustice. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Is not all thinking, uh, is not all thinking which kindles up such fires evil? Charity thinketh no evil. The word here rendered clearly, uh, charity means love. This is its legitimate meaning. And in other passages in the Bible, it is usually rendered love. It refers especially to love as the action of a renewed heart, to holy love, and not to any form of the social or domestic instincts. Of this holy love, it is said that it thinketh no evil. This is popular and not strictly metaphysical language. For in the strict phraseology, charity does not think at all. Nothing can think except a mind. The meaning, therefore, is that a charitable mind thinketh no evil. This is plain and very true. It is not, however, implied that charitable men are blind to facts or that they are incapable of thinking of things as they are. God's mind is all love, supremely under the control of benevolence. And yet he sees more, and yet he sees evil nonetheless. Thinks of it and estimates its real nature uh, more the less accurately. So of the human mind under the control of love. It's not that you can't see the evil. It's just that you don't think and dwell upon it. Again, charitable minds may misjudge, but cannot really think or do any evil. Subjectively considered. In a charitable state, they cannot consent to say or do anything wrong. For example, charity cannot be subjectively unjust. It can never intend injustice. It, all, it will always, from its judgments, honestly, according to its best light, it may form opinions objectively wrong, that is, wrong as to fact, wrong in themselves consist, uh, considered, yet even in forming these, it will be subjectively right because under the control of love. Now, did you all understand that? You can be wrong. Sometimes you can be wrong. Have a charitable mind and still be wrong, but not, not malevolent in it. Yet, and, and says, for the same reason, charity cannot be envious or suspicious. There will be the greatest simplicity in such a mind. Conscience of its own uprightness, it will not be looking out for hypocrisy in others. Wow. Well, if you hadn't been hit so far, which you have, that ought to hit you. It is remarkable how simple-hearted the charitable mind will always be. So truthful, so upright. It has no thought of suspecting others, for it seems a stranger to the idea of wrong. But the uncharitable mind is the reverse of this. It is like the old adage, set a rogue to catch a rogue. 
He seems to have the art of suspecting and knows a world of things about the ways and works and signs of the, of the rogue that no honest man should be expected to know. So to catch a rogue, you, you know, <laughs> takes one to know one, so to speak. When you see a man very suspicious, you may usually suspect him. If he is a hypocrite, he will suspect others of being hypocrites. For he's very familiar with that state of mind. If he is a liar, a thief, or a counterfeiter, it will be easy for him to suspect others of, the, of some equally scandalous form of vice. But on the other hand, the charitable mind is eminently simple-hearted and unsuspicious. You believe that? I believe that's right. Yeah, but, but, no, there's no buts. Just hang on. It's just getting started here. Again, charity cannot be revengeful. It naturally abhors revengeful thoughts. <clears throat> revenge. You ever want to get revenge? You ever think about getting revenge? You ever plot about getting revenge? I'll get you back. You'll pay for this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't do anything. Well, that was, she was just saying it in jest. A joke. But most people are not joking. Suppose the charitable man has been injured. What then? Shall he study revenge? No. He suffereth long and is kind. It is in his nature to not be revengeful, but kind. Who does not know this? He is inclined to put the best possible construction upon the acts and the motives of others. You do not find him brooding over all the apparent wrong he sees and magnifying it in his imagination. For example, think of the conduct of parents who really love their children. You do not see them dwell exclusively upon their children's fault to the entire neglect of their excellencies. Love never does that. Nor can candor and honesty do it. What should you think of a man who should get a telescope of sufficient power to reveal to him one black spot on the sun's disk and who then gazes at this till it fills his whole vision and the whole face of the sun seems only black and dark as midnight. You would think him no better than crazy. His mind labors under a hallucination and does not by any means see things as they are. So of men who gaze at their neighbor's faults till their own minds become so green as to give a greenish hue to everything they see. The mind seems in some peculiar circumstances to have a wonderful power of unconsciously imparting its own moral complexion to the character it contemplates. Hence a very charitable mind often puts upon the conduct of others a more charitable const uh, construction than strict truth will sustain. If you really have a charitable mind, you'll think better of people than they really are. On purpose. And much more often, that on the other hand, does an uncharitable mind impart its own dark and foul type to the character which it pretends to delineate. That is always an ill-natured state of mind which loves to dwell upon others' faults where no interest of benevolence demanded. Think of a husband who is forever poring over the faults of his wife and has no heart to notice her excellencies. 
He has only evil and not good to say of her. And the more of evil he finds to think of and talk about, the more his mind is fed and feasting. It is not is not he a monster? Do you believe that he has the heart of a man within him? Of one thing you may be very sure, he has none of that charity which thinketh no evil. The charitable husband would be grieved to notice her faults, and certainly would never speak of them unless compelled by the sternest necessity. The same principle is often developed in the hearing of sermons. Some men notice only the faults they can find. And if a sermon has 99 good qualities and but one of a questionable character, the latter is the only thing thought of. Is he, that's 200 years ago. And no pains are spared to discuss and display its demerits. Of course, such hearers are only cursed and never benefited by hearing sermons. So no sermon can ever be good enough to bless their souls. They will lose all the good by watching for anticipated and desired evil. Of course, you would not say that such hearers are in a charitable state of mind. A charitable man cannot dwell upon injuries received. It grieves him to think of them. He will, of choice, banish them entirely from his mind unless some important interest or rights are so involved as to demand his attention to them. He finds more pleasure in dwelling upon the good received than upon the evil. Now that's a charitable man. Wait a minute. i got to turn it over. Some evidences of evil thinking next demand our attention, he says. Some things under this head have already been anticipated, hence I shall be the more brief now. Evil speaking, of course, evinces a state of evil thinking. Evil speaking, evil thinking goes together. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Evil treatment makes the same development. Some men don't like to speak out all they think. But they cannot easily prevent it. It's working itself out in their actions. Their looks and their whole demeanor will show it. Perhaps they refuse to exchange the common tokens of civility and will not even shake hands. Their state of mind is so uncharitable. Thinketh no evil. Thinketh no evil. A disposition to find fault with others is an evidence of evil thinking. How remarkable that some men say almost nothing else but in the way of fault-finding. If they attempt to speak or pray, fault-finding is uppermost. If they speak in a church meeting, you can anticipate the strain of their remarks. Always some form of fault-finding. It seems as if the man was forever brooding over the faults of his brethren. He sees no bright spots ever in any brother or in any church. His temper is morose and crabbed. He is a natural-born Arab. His hand is against every man, and every man's hand against him. You may always know that his bosom is the prey of perpetual evil thinking. A disposition to complain of the ill treatment received from, another, from others is another evidence. Fall into conversation with him where you will. He's complaining of having been injured. Somebody has injured him, and it engrosses his mind to the exclusion of almost everything else. 
This man is given to evil thinking. I see faces, names. I know people very well. Don't be like this. Another evidence of evil thinking is the disposition to complain of being neglected. (laughs) Some persons have a world of trouble on this score. Alas, they are always overlooked. Nobody cares as much for them as in their humble opinion they deserve. Their state of mind becomes a source of great uneasiness. It proves that they are given to evil thinking. Others show their evil thinking by a disposition to question the purity of another's motives. You see some people who can scarcely ever believe that their neighbors and acquaintances are really what they profess to be. It seems most natural to them to assume that everybody besides themselves to be dishonest. It may happen that all appears right in their neighbor's conduct. Well, in such a case, they will say, that'll do if he is honest. If he's honest in it. Now, you may know without an if that such men are evil thinkers. Their very souls are putrid with jealousy and suspicion. They cannot even put a good construction on, upon what appears inexceptionable. Unexceptionable. The same is true substantially of those who are always disposed to question the piety of others. A man may do some things. Listen to this. You know, the thing about Finney is they've criticized him over his stand about holiness. And he was almost too perfect. John Wesley did preach perfection. Finney almost did. He preached it so strict that everybody rejected him because he's too, too far over the line. All right, now listen to what he says here. <clears throat> this is true substantially of those who are always dis- disposed to question the piety of others. A man may do some things which are entirely wrong, and yet his general character may be so good that you have no sufficient reason to question his piety. In such a case, let charity prevail. You sometimes see the evidence of evil thinking in a slowness to credit professions of repentance and sincerity. Sometimes there may be good reason for being slow in this matter. I speak of cases where the backwardness is not really warranted by anything in the individual's character or in the present circumstances. Evidence of evil thinking is seen sometimes in a readiness to question the truthfulness of others. On this point, it should be considered that that men may state what is really false, yet be in heart entirely truthful. They may misapprehend the real state of the facts, may truthfully state the case as they understand it. I have heard during my life thousands of men state things which I knew to be false, yet I did not for this reason feel authorized to say they lied. To assume that they lie is uncharitable. So long as it may be the case that they misapprehend the facts, memory is sometimes at fault. And sometimes the man may be in real fault for the lack of care to inform himself of the certainty of what he affirms. But charity forbids us to put any man down, a liar, till we are well assured that he affirms for truth what he knows to be false. I've heard lots of people call others liars because they said something that wasn't true. But they thought it was true. 
I mean, I'm talking about preachers and churches and everything. He's a liar. That's a strong accusation. And it is uncharitable. The disposition to impute lying to a man on the slightest occasion should be reprobated as in the highest degree uncharitable. Often the mere fact of a man stating what is not true affords scarcely the shadow of evidence that he lies. We must not believe the man lies unless the circumstances utterly forbid the charitable conclusion. A readiness to hear evil is another indication of a state of mind which thinks evil. Buckle your seatbelts. <laughs> Sometimes persons will not allow themselves to originate evil reports, but will take them up, believe, and circulate them without scruple. Now there's, how many of you know what that means? Without any common sense, without any discernment. You just pick up a tail and carry it. It is remarkable that the Bible places these two classes, the originator and the receiver of evil reports, on the same footing, for it promises an abiding place in God's holy will to him that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. Whosoever therefore, whoever therefore takes up a reproach against his neighbor, saying, Aha, aha, so, we would, ha ha, so would we have it may be known as one that thinketh evil. Moreover, when men manifest a readiness not only to hear, but to believe evil reports of others, you may know they are evil thinkers. Let that sink in just a little bit. Have you got to the place in your life where you stop believing what people say about somebody else? I have a long time ago. Ain't going to do you no good to tell me a bunch of dirt on somebody because I'm not going to swallow it, especially if it's somebody that I know and regard. I mean, it's going to take a lot more in your word of what you heard or what somebody else told you. And up, an unhappy state of mind is often an evidence of an uncharitable mind. An unhappy state of mind. Mm -hmm is often an evidence, for it is a development of thinking evil. From the very laws of mind, such persons are always unhappy. You never see a person of evil thinking habits whose countenance shines with the joy of his heart. Show me an uncharitable man, and I will show you an unhappy man. Men who are discontented with their present position are wholly given to evil thinking. Mark those men who cannot bear the neighborhood they live in. Those students here, he's talking about at the college there, who are forever uneasy, rasp, vexed, discontented, who want to get away and are forever restive for some change. Mark them, I say, for if you could know the bottom of their hearts, you would find evil thinking there. They are brooding over the dark features of others' character and conduct and practically forget that there are many good things in almost all men in all situations. Uncharitableness breeds misery and discontent. A general want of confidence in others betrays a heart of evil thinking. You see some who seem to have lost confidence in everybody. The psalmist once said in his haste, all men are liars. 
If you read that psalm and mark his state of mind, you will see that he seemed not to know whom whom to trust. He didn't believe anybody is pious. He had no confidence in any man. The trouble lies, at least in part, with himself. His heart is thinking evil continually. Another evidence is the absence of pain in the view of any exhibition of uncharitableness. When it don't bother you to see other people, when, it, when an uncharitable person, it d- doesn't bother you. <clears throat> don't cause you any pain. For example, if you hear persons speak uncharitably and it does not grie- give you pain, you have great reason to suspect yourself of an uncharitable mind. If your own mind were deeply imbued with love, you would not fail of being shocked whenever you hear uncharitable speaking. And in this position to pray for others is yet another evidence. I do not now allude to cases where Christians have no ill feelings at all toward others, but and yet for reasons to themselves unknown seem to gain no access to God in prayer for them. But I allude to cases in which men have such a state of uncomfortable feeling towards certain persons that they feel no spirit to pray for them. Such a sign is ominous. If you can't pray for somebody because you have such bitter feelings toward them, you have an uncharitable mind. Yes, sir. No charity. Go back to the chapter of charity. What is it? Without it, what you got? What matters? Nothing. Nothing. Finally, evil thinkers may be known by their not rejoicing at the prosperity of others and not mourning at their adversity. Whoever finds this to be the case with himself may know that he has an uncharitable mind. Number four, the evidences of a charitable state of mind which thinketh no evil are the very opposite of those which I have just been adducing, where men do not speak evil of others but speak well where their treatment of others is benevolent and kind, where instead of fault-finding, you see a disposition to vindicate, apologize for, commend, where there is no apparent love of dwelling upon others' faults, but a delight in dwelling upon their virtues. In all such cases, you see evidences of a charitable spirit. The charitable man is not morose, you know, depressed, blue, you know, uh, Melancholy. He's not that way. He's not discouraging, but cheerful. Wishes no man evil, but every man well. You thinking? Are you listening to this? This is really true. If ill-treated, does not complain. Nor is disposed to dwell upon it. Don't know that he has any enemies. Certainly does not feel as if he had. For although he may know the fact, as Christ did in his own case, yet like Christ in his heart, it is in his heart to say, Father, forgive, for they know not what they do. He loves to overlook injuries and is by no means disposed to dwell upon them. That sounds like Jesus to me. (laughs) Some men always think they are persecuted and wronged. Suppose everybody is their enemy while others seem never to dream of any such thing. You hear them remark, such a man thinks ill of me, but he's misinformed. He doesn't mean any wrong. You've seen such persons. Their state of mind is so sweet that they don't seem to think anybody can do them any harm. 
In a charitable state of mind, it is very natural that they should take this view. They manifest no disposition to regard themselves as neglected by others. A pastor who visits his people occasionally has often a good opportunity to notice the great difference which, which obtains among persons in this respect. I call on one family, and in the course of our conversation, I observe, they say, it is a I observe, it is a long time since I have seen your family at your own home. Yes, the reply is, I thought my pastor had neglected me. I began to think he would never visit us again. I call on another family. I remark to them that it seems a long time since I've seen them, but they have not a word to say about anything being neglected or nor uh, no. They say, we know you have a great deal to do, so so much uh, to do that we could not expect you to turn aside from your urgent and, and more important duties to see us. We're all exceedingly glad to see you, <clears throat> but really, we could never blame you if you should not call upon us. Sometimes such a family will go much further in excusing me than I can in excusing myself so that I have often felt ashamed and condemned by their apologies for me. Now all this is the natural for a charitable mind. But if the mind is in an uncharitable state, everything is horribly distorted. Again, those whose minds are charitable have no disposition to question the purity of others' motives. They love to put the best admissible construction upon every man's conduct. Herein is fulfilled that truthful and beautiful sentiment, charity covereth the multitude of sins. And that, and then, if any of the way he preaches, he always gets that far and then he has remarks. He hits his points and then he says remarks. And usually this is where he really, really hammers it in. Remarks. Number one, many think evil who do not speak it. Often such persons take great credit to themselves for not speaking evil, when really they are thinking a great deal of evil. The reason they do not speak evil is not because their hearts are full of love and goodwill, but perhaps because they have not a good opportunity, or because some motives of policy refrain them, or restrain them. I'm sorry. It is a great mistake to be proud of such virtue. Many forget that charity thinketh no evil. Number two. It seems to escape their mind, their minds that the law of love reaches to the heart and to the most secret thoughts. See, as long as we don't say it, we figure, we figure we're all right. No, this is not dealing with saying it. This is what's got me for years about this. Charity thinketh no evil. Evil thinkers are for the time being or for the time being, impenitent. Oh, now this is hard. Evil thinkers are for the time being impenitent. There's not a religious state. Theirs is not a religious state of mind. And what he's talking about during those days, that meant saved. This is, not, this is most manifest. For nothing can be religious which is not charitable. The uncharitable man remaining such can have nothing really good about him. Whew. And that cuts us down to the ground, don't it? Nothing good. I believe that's right. I believe he's staying faithful to the Scripture here, the whole context, by saying that. 
This state of mind is exceedingly deceptive. The uncharitable man dwells so much and so intensely upon the faults of others and gets so much excited by his own thinking and talking on the subject that he makes himself think that he ought to be, that he ought to be uncharitable. He's doing right by talking about it, by finding fault, by seeing all this. Oh, he has been egregiously wronged. He would forfeit all self-respect if he did not rescind it and manifest his indignation. It's deceptive. This uncharitable mind makes you think like this. Those fearful wrongs done to himself, how they fill the whole field of his vision and seem to be the greatest wrongs that ever felt to the hand, ever fell to the hard lot of any mortal. And can it be wrong for him to dwell upon them and condemn their author? I got a right to be mad. I got a right to get them back. I've got a right to be bitter. You deceived your uncharitable heart has deceived you. Those who sympathize with each other in this state of mind can neither their own can neither can see neither their own nor each other's faults. All being alike in an uncharitable state of mind, they are unfit to judge correctly of the moral quality of their own or of each other's moral exercises. The same causes which blind the uncharitable man to his own sins blind him also to the sins of his neighbor, provided those sins sustain and vindicate his own. Hence, where a church falls into an uncharitable state of mind, there is the less hope of any remedy originating from themselves. Hand joins in hand, and heart sustains heart in defense of uncharitableness. Their moral state becomes dark indeed, and the prospect of any improvement is gloomy. Boy, I've known so many churches like that. The manifestations of this state of evil thinking are often odious and shocking. Sometimes men make these manifestations without being themselves aware of it. I recollect the case of a minister who once spent some time at our house. After he had gone, one of our children came to me and said, Don't you think Mr. Blank has a bad spirit? Why do you ask that question? Because he's finding fault with everybody. He said, If I ever see him again, I mean to tell him what impression his conversation made on my children. I've warned him against this practice of evil speaking, and I cannot acquit my conscience without rebuking him again. It is astonishing that a man can be so blind as not to see such things in himself. But there are men who will manifest a spirit which will shock even a child, and yet he quite unconscious of being in, in, in a bad state of mind. Our own blindness and self-conceit make us think ourselves abused when we are not. Hence a man may regard the treatment he received from others as wholly wrong when it is really occasioned by his own position, uh, position and circumstances. If this man is honest and candid and should come to see things as they are, he would cry out, I certainly have deserved a thousand times more than I have received. I once thought myself wronged, but I have changed my views. I now see that the wrong was chiefly and perhaps wholly on my side. I have known cases of this sort. Many 
men are sometimes blind to their own faults. They cannot, that they cannot bear to have others say of them what is most just. It is hence common for men to attribute to others a bad spirit, when if they saw things as they are, they would see that themselves are the chiefly in fault. Just, just apprehensions of ourselves would often remove the temptation to think hard of others. <laughs> In other words, in our language, if you just, if we could see ourselves as we really are, we wouldn't be looking at others and judging them so harshly. When you come to estimate yourself rightly, you no longer wonder that men should think evil of you. So I have found it in my own case. Hence, when men feel themselves tried, they would do well to say, is there not a cause? This is always wise, for it may be but that candid self-scrutiny will put the whole matter in a new light before our minds. It, is certainly, it certainly can do no harm for us to ask. Now really, am I not full as bad as others think me to be? In very many cases, you will find by honest searching of your heart, of yourself, that there lies the cause. When persons find themselves tempted to take a wrong view of a matter instead of brooding over the wrong, they should ask, what does God intend by this in His providence? Lord, search me. Let, me, let Him say, Lord, search me, try me, I, and know my thoughts, and let me see whether these people are not thy rod. As Shimei cursed David, and David said, let him curse, the Lord hath bidden him. So we should look upon those who speak evil of us when we are ourselves conscious of being occasion, of, of having occasioned it. In such a case, what have we to do that we should retaliate? God has designed it for our good and it becomes us to receive it from His hand. Let us then inquire, may there not be some truth in these charges or these insinuations? Is it not for some good reason that the Lord has permitted the tongue of evil men to run loose against me? What is the lesson which God in His providence would teach me by these things? Right over against this is the other course. I do well to resist and repel. Somebody has spoken evil of me and I am grievously abused man. Now shall I take this course under reproach? No, I, I would as soon take arsenic. Shall I cry out, Oh, I have been abused. My God, take my part, for I am greatly abused. No, let, let me rather say, Oh, my God, what wouldest thou teach me? What wouldest, wouldest thou have me to pray for mine enemy? Let, then let me do it. If a man has smitten out my right eye, let me first inquire what God means by permitting such an event. And moreover, let me also inquire not only what provocations they actually have, but what they may think they have. How often have I wished that I could see myself through other people's eyes? I should love to place myself in their position and ask how things look from their standpoint of observation. Perhaps they are so situated as to know only the evil things of my character and conduct. It was so even of Jesus Christ. Those who knew him only through the wicked scribes and Pharisees would of course hear no good of him and much evil. 
not indeed in his case evil that he had ever done, but evil that they alleged against him. Evil thinkers are self-tormentors. This has been intimated before. A man who is continually brooding over the real or supposed faults of others, the injuries he has received, and the evil that others have done, is in any other than a desirable state of mind. He renders himself completely wretched and from the very nature of mind cannot be otherwise. We are, uh, we see some men in almost every community who seem to, have, to be always unhappy, discontented. They're complainers, murmurers, fault finders, and are a source of vexation to themselves, greatly to be pitied and greatly to be blamed. Again, evil thinkers are a curse to their families. If either fathers or mothers allow themselves to think evil, y'all listen to this. They almost, of course, become conscious and fill the minds of their children and all over whom they have influence with prejudices against others. They so often speak of the faults real or supposed, of their neighbors, and oftentimes their ne- of their nearest friends, that they create the impression in their family that these persons are not to be trusted. Consequently, the minds of the family become filled with evil thoughts, evil surmisings, and suspicions, which work like poison itself through the moral heart and constitution of the whole family. It is remarkable to witness the state of religion in a great many families, owing manifestly, at least in a great degree, to the fact that some influential member of the family, perhaps the father or the mother, is in the habit of indulging evil thoughts and of manifesting these thoughts either in conversation or in conduct to the family. A man can in scarcely any way be a greater and more sure curse to his family than by such a course as this. See that man who is a father? He seldom speaks in such a way to his family as to give them confidence and charity towards any of his neighbors. He brings home little else to their ears than the evil reports of the neighborhood in respect to everybody about him. His family soon becomes a band of evil thinkers and evil speakers and slander is the order of the day. Uh, Being a drunkard or a whoremonger wouldn't do as much harm to his family as being an evil thinker and an evil speaker. That's pretty hard slam right there. And it's right. An evil thinker is a curse to the church of which he is a member. He does not he does much to undermine Christian confidence, create prejudices and alienate feelings. He is a root of bitterness, springing up and troubling the church. He is suspicious of his minister, his little has little confidence in his brethren. He broods over their faults without seeing or commending their virtues. He finds fault. He makes his minister and his brother an offender for a word and overlooks what is excellent and of good rapport. The sooner a church can get rid of such a member, the better for them. An evil thinker is a great stumbling block to the world. What can be a greater stumbling block to the world than for a professor of religion to overlook all the virtues and retail all the failings, real or supposed, of his brethren? 
How greatly do ungodly men feed themselves, feel themselves strengthened in their opposition to the church when they get the, when they get the countenance and support of such a man as this. <laughs> Go out and talk, talk to the neighbors, your family, other people in the community about your church and all that's wrong with it. Again, a charitable mind ensures peace and quietness of spirit. An individual who thinketh no evil, but who hopeth all things and endureth all things, has that peace and quietness of mind to which all other persons are strangers. Again, we see how to account for the discontent and unhappiness of a great many persons in the church and out of the church. You mark one of these discontented spirits when and where you will, and will find that they are evil thinkers that they are ready to say or have said in their hearts, all men are liars. Again, how important it is to control the thoughts aright. Important to our peace, important to our own usefulness, important to our own salvation, important to the peace and usefulness and salvation of all around us. A great many people seem to lose sight of the great importance to themselves and others of obeying this precept of the apostle. Finally, brethren, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. That's it. See, he preached about as long as I do. <laughs> you may think that's a little strange here tonight, but but I think it's important. Yes, sir. You just heard a sermon from somebody 200 years ago. He preached that in a church somewhere 200 years ago. Is that the kind of preaching you hear commonly nowadays? Is anybody here clear of everything he said? Well, no. Everybody here is condemned. Wrong. I mean, thoroughly dealt with this subject and nailed every one of us. You ought to go out of here and you ought to, I mean, there ought to, you ought to put a watch on yourself, on your mouth, on your, but not on just your mouth, on your thoughts, on your thoughts. There ought to be a check. After you hear something like this and are challenged like this, if you listened and got it, it ought to change the way you think. Charity thinketh no evil. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. The love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost, which He's given us. It changes us. So how can it be that we fit every description that he gave here tonight? I mean, you've got to see yourself in this. You've got to catch yourself in it. We need to correct one another in it. When you go home, when you hear your wife start talking evil, say, hey, hey. When you hear your husband doing it, your children doing it, say, hey. The way to misery and unhappiness 
What did he say? Show me an uncharitable mind, and I'll show you an unhappy. An uncharitable man, I'll show you an unhappy man. Or woman. Or child. Have you ever thought about it? That uh, what heaven's going to be like? He's preparing a place for them that love him. It's going to be a place of love. Not of evil speaking. Not of evil thinking. And if we can't, and you know, is that all just some miracle that he's going to do in the sweet by and by, pie in the sky by and by? I mean, you know, we're just still sinners and we're just still going to do this stuff here, but someday he's going to change us. That's not it. That's not the truth. <laughs> he changes us right here and now. Now, this is a, a work that is somewhat progressive, but it ought to be evident in a new Christian immediately. Yes, sir. It ought to change. Well, that's the way I grew up. Most of us did. You know, grew up hearing griping and complaining and evil speaking and gossiping. Everybody's, you know, everybody's against me. I gotta guard my stuff and I gotta guard everything, you know. Everybody. Are they happy? Never happy like that. Can't you just look at somebody and see some good? Can't you find some good? Can't you find some some hope, something to hope for? In somebody, that's good. Hopeth all things. Didn't, didn't we read that there? That's in First Corinthians 13, the charity chapter, charity by love. Charity hopeth all things. Now don't leave no room for this condemnation and throwing people away and condemning them and putting the bad stamp on them. Bad, bad people. It's evil thinking. Trouble, trouble. Always dark, black. Suspicion. Why you suspect everybody? Everybody's not out to get you. If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. So you're just too lazy to get a sermon together tonight. No, that's, believe me, that's not the case. I've, I've been reading this for years. I'd read a little bit, and that was just all I could take. I mean, it was just, it just set my mind to thinking so much. This ought to, I hope that you'll get it. I hope that you'll, if we'd have had some other man come in and preach tonight, you wouldn't have got such a thing. You wouldn't have got such a message. It's the same as if we had another preacher in here, except that he's being dead, he yet speaketh. That's the wonderful thing. That's what I tell you so often. If he'd have been like a lot of preachers, that would have been preached in a church somewhere 200 years ago and forgotten and nobody would ever know. Somebody wrote it down. Thank the Lord. Because I need that kind of... Where are you going to find that kind of preaching now? And it's, it's part of our resources. It's what I try to encourage you all the time. Avail yourself. There's thousands of sermons like that that'll help you. That'll that'll help you to sanctify yourself. That'll inspire you. That'll encourage you. That'll correct you. And that's what we need, isn't it? Why don't you do that instead of looking at Facebook and scrolling through TikTok and ads? Why? 
Does the Lord ever convict you about the time wasted when you could be reading? Well, it does me. I waste a little bit of time and I think, no, 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 no. Got to do something else. And I'll read something like this. And I'm always very glad that I did. Will you let the Lord work on you? Are you so filled with it that if you took, uh, took this away, you wouldn't have nothing to talk about? Think about that. What, is our con- what does our conversation consist of? Evil thinking, evil talking. It's always somebody that's a bad guy. Always somebody a villain. Always somebody that needs, you know, as far as we're concerned, they need to be killed. You might as well just say it that way because when we condemn souls that we can't find nothing good in anybody, we're no better than a murderer. Really. It's poison that poisons everybody around us. I don't like being around people that just talk, 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 talk trash. We, they call it talking trash. That's exactly what it is. How much more good would it do if we could see some good and try to cultivate and encourage the good and pray for the good, that seed that's there. Pray for it. Instead of just the whole thing's right. No count. Will you go home and think about this? It's just a few pages long. Go home and read. I mean, y'all got your phones. You can find it easy as pie. Look up Charles Finney, Evil Speaking, Sermon. There it'll be. Right at your fingertips. Go through it and read it slowly. Ask yourself, what do you think the Lord wants you to do about this message tonight? Hmm? Amen. All right, we're going to go home.